Welcome to the Thousand Greens podcast. I'm your host, Love Goel. Thousand Greens is the social network for members of private golf clubs seeking camaraderie through golf. Golf anywhere, friends everywhere. Listeners, I'd love to hear from you directly. Shoot me an email if you have any questions or comments. I would appreciate your feedback and thoughts on how to improve the show. Contact information is available in the show notes. And as always, if you're thinking about joining the network, direct your browser to thousandgreens.com or download the app from any of the app stores. Today, my guest is Rick Moe, or for those of you on Twitter, at Top100Rick. Rick is currently on a mission to play the Top 100 courses in the United States. He makes a point of using this list as a guide to see everything that's in the area. Last year, he played 103 new-to-him courses, including some of the hardest places in the world to play. Rick shares his experiences from 2022, advice for getting out to those really hard-to-reach places, and how Thousand Greens has been a meaningful part of his golf journey. Welcome to the show, Rick. Love, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm, I'm a pretty normal guy, 44 years old, a couple kids that just went off to college, and mediocre golfer, and I just decided that I'm going to golf a lot more over the last couple of years. COVID was part of that, so that's probably the only thing that makes me different from most people, is that I decided to golf as much as possible. But married, business owner, normal dude in the neighborhood, I just am golfing like crazy all over the country, so that's probably the only weird thing about me. Uh, we, we're going to get into talking about the golf here for, for I imagine, some time, but um, before <laughs> we get into that, what do you do for work? Um, I'm a business owner, so I'm partners in a medical waste company. So not a, I'm not a tech or finance guy like most of the guys we know, but uh, medical waste, we have drivers who go out, they pick up the sharps, the needles, the stuff that nobody wants, and we get it treated. So it's not glamorous, but but it's not a bad business. I feel like you're sandbagging me a little bit here when you say you wanted to play a lot of golf. I think um, if I look back, you played 103 new courses in 2022. So when you say a lot of golf, you mean a lot of golf. Tell us why that much golf. Um, I have no idea. Uh, it started in January with just a trip would get planned. Someone would invite me somewhere or I'd invite someone somewhere and it just snowballed. And I basically just said yes to every invite I could. And then I come up with some trips of my own. And next thing you know, it was like every week I was going somewhere and it got pretty stupid towards the end. But and just if an opportunity came, people knew they could count on me to fill that last spot. And that probably happened like seven times last year, like seven different trips came out of nowhere. So, yeah, it just kind of happened. I, I didn't intend this. I'm glad it happened, but uh, I'm not a planner. So most of this stuff happens like with a week or two's notice. So which is helpful when you have a good a, a good schedule that you can move around and and be anywhere where someone needs you. How did you get into golf? So I started golf um, when I was about 20 years old. Uh, I was actually a Pepsi truck driver in Anchorage, Alaska. So not a place known for golf. I think it was Tiger Woods, like me and my buddy, who was also a Pepsi driver, just watched golf. And we're like, hey, that looks cool. Started playing. Literally, I would like take my lunch break, jump off my truck, and go use rental clubs inside on an indoor range. And that's how I learned how to play. Unfortunately, taught myself. I wish someone else would have taught me. And then just like I just loved golf ever since. I mean, I it was a different type of golf. The my first twenty years of golf was just muni golf, and I loved it. I didn't know any different, so it was great. But uh, but yeah, so I started as a twenty year old Pepsi driver. So you say you're a mediocre golfer now. What what is it? What does it mean to be a mediocre golfer? Like, <laughs> uh, give me give me the whole spectrum. What's it like to play golf with Rick these days? 
Oh, geez. It could be anything any given day, like most of us. But uh, um, this year, I ranged from like a 7.9 to over a 12. I had some great rounds, but lots of 85 to 95s. And then I'd throw in like an 81 in a hard course, and then boom, my handicap's like an 8. But but really, you're going to see drives going everywhere and a lot of wild golf. And at the end of the day, like an 85 to 90 most days. So, And then if you catch me on a hot day, it's good. But uh, definitely just I'm wild. Let's just say that. Would you call yourself an equipment guy, architecture aficionado? What what are sort of the classic golf personalities that you would peg yourself into? You know, I don't know if I fit in any of those. Like, I love equipment, but I don't study it. I just randomly buy it at the PGA Superstore if it feels good, and then I use it for six months and buy something new. I love shiny new toys. I love new equipment. I love golf course architecture, but I also love the courses that those guys don't like. So I love Fazio courses. I love them all. If anything, I'm just a golf travel nut. I want to play new places with new people. And that's kind of what gets me going. I don't get that excited with the exception of like some amazing courses to just go back and play another course that I've already played. I'd rather play like a, you know, a a course that's like a seven out of 10 than a nine out of 10 that I've already played. So I would say if anything, I'm just a golf travel nut. So you you love to see a new course. Tell tell us a little bit about why it is that you would want to go see a new course over a great course that you've already played? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's probably just my a personality trait. Because when I think back to like restaurants, right, I was always the type when I would go out to eat, I always want something new. And, you know, there's like my parents who literally want to go to the same restaurant every single time because they know it's good. I don't want that. I'd rather have something bad, but it's a new experience. I just think there's a thrill with trying something new, seeing something new. So uh, or travel. Like I'd rather travel to a new city that I've never been to than a city I know I love. But I just think there's a thrill in seeing something new. Do you use golf and, and golf travel as a way to explore the world? Or when you when you go on a golf trip, are you just there for the course? Like 90% golf. Um, I'm not a sightseer other than on the golf course. So things like, so I want to go play golf in Paris, for instance, uh, or in France. I'll probably see the Eiffel Tower because I'm there, but I don't actually care at all. Like that stuff does nothing for me. Um, I just want to see golf courses, which is kind of sick. I, I, I'm a little obsessive. It's probably better if you can break off and go do other things. But most of the time, I'm fine with just seeing four golf courses and then getting out of town. You know, maybe one good dinner, of course, and, and that's that's enough for me. Tell me a little bit about your ideal version of a golf trip. If you're going with three guys like yourself, what's the itinerary? Um, so in fact, it's funny you mentioned this because it's a big conversation I have with some of my core buddies because we have some disagreements in there. Um, I'm very much get a, a courtyard, you know, by Marriott for 120 bucks a night, eat cheap, get some decent food, but like casual food and, and chill, you know, and most of my friends want to go out to a really nice dinner and, you know, maybe explore a little bit, play 36 a day. I'm more like 18 a day. Unless there's a real reason to play 36, I'd rather just take my time and enjoy one course. But it's funny, as I've gone on a lot of trips, you know, you have to adapt to who you're with. And a lot of my buddies want to go to fancy dinners. And I used to kind of fight against it. But my, my good friend, John Lutz, said, we were debating going to dinner. And he just looks at me and says, Rick, you're going to dinner. And you know what? It was awesome. And the dinner was awesome. And I kind of learned that sometimes you just got to get away from who you are. And you'll actually enjoy life a lot more. So I started to be more open to that stuff. I want to get back to your 2022 now. You've had uh, 103 courses. Tell me your top four that you got through in this past year. Um, Well, number one is definitely uh, National Golf Links of America. 
obviously that's a lot of people's number one. It's just heaven. You know, you're out there on the coast, you're in the Hamptons. The course is incredible. I also shot my career low there. So it's kind of unfair. It, it, how do you judge a course when everything goes right? Oh yeah. And we were there in late October and it was 60 degrees and sunny with no wind. And we were like nobody behind us or in front of us. So you throw all that together. It's hard to compete with. That's probably my favorite course. If you've seen the list, you know, I played Augusta National this year. That was obviously incredible. I never in my life thought I would play that. So to get to play that, um, it's just unbelievable because I never I never even started to try to do the top 100 until I played that because I just never thought I'd play it. So what's the point? Fisher's Island, uh, we played in a charity event. That, that place is epic. Another place I never thought I'd play. Uh, I would put that up there. And then I'd probably say Marion. Marion's hard, but it's just insanely good and super well-conditioned and one of the most unique courses I've played. So those are probably my top four this year, but there's probably another five that are in the discussion. What advice do you have for folks wanting to play these sort of brand name courses that, you know, even a place like Thousand Greens, a network like Thousand Greens won't really make accessible to you? It's obviously very difficult. It's difficult for anyone. Um, there's a few options outside of Thousand Greens. So I will say um, when I started on Thousand Greens, you know, I was a, a lower tier person and I couldn't request places and I just watched offers all the time. And I was able to get on some pretty cool top 100s before I really was supposed to be just through offers. So I will say that is one way that works. Uh, another way is uh, charity auctions is another way. I've gone on a couple places through there. That's been really helpful. Biggest thing is just go out and golf with people. Go out and golf with tons of people and make lots of friends. There are people who are not members of great clubs who play great clubs. And if you just know, if you make genuine friendships with a ton of people, you're probably going to get invited somewhere someday. It might not be Marion. It probably won't be Augusta. But you, you will get invited to really cool places. And plenty of those places aren't even ranked. Like there's courses not even ranked, like uh, Essex County, New Jersey, for one. Um, the Creek's another, that they're not in the Golf Digest Top 100 and will just blow your mind. So just make a lot of friends and doors will open that you never dreamed of. Are there particular yeah. charity auctions that you support that you recommend? So most of the ones I do are like regional first tee. That it's not actually the best thing in the world, but I love golf and getting more kids into golf is always great. So I love those ones. Uh, the big national ones that most people know about are great, but the the prices get really high, which is great. That's what you want, right? Because this money is going to a cause way more important usually than our golf trips, and so you want them to get high. But let's be real; most people aren't going to spend fifteen grand for a threesome. Um, so my big thing is find local charities is the best one. And a Google search is amazing. And also just look at it as a charity donation. I think a lot of people get caught up in going, oh, it's three grand for a threesome. That's a thousand dollars a person. No, it's a charity donation. Cause if you just donated three grand to charity, you would never think of the value you're getting back. So just look at it as a charity donation. And then the golf's a bonus. And then uh, uh, you're doing good for the world and you get to golf, which is kind of sweet. Out of 103, Give me maybe the three most surprising courses that you played or three that jumped out at you to be like, wow, that was, you know, that was not an experience I thought I might have. Um, well, the first one's really easy. It's Eastward Ho in uh, uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It's unreal. And it's it's ranked, um, I think in Golf Digest, it might not be in the top 100. In Golf.com, it's top 60 or something. And it's it's my in my top 10. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's so interesting and gorgeous. Uh, the setting's unbelievable. I would say that that, that one just was just incredible. Um, the Creek, which I mentioned earlier, 
which once again is not in top 100 in Golf Digest. It's pretty well known now. Most people know it's incredible, but it will blow you away. It, it is phenomenal, and it's probably top 40 or 50. So those are two, you know, other ones. Um, Essex County, New Jersey, which I already mentioned as well, is another one not ranked, and it's probably the the best back nine in New Jersey. It's absolutely fabulous. You've spent a lot of time building this list, a lot of time playing these great golf courses. What do you wish people would ask you about it? A good question might be, which places have the best food? Uh, surprising. There's some good clubs that don't have great food. And uh, and there's some clubs that are a little under the radar that have, have awesome food. Uh-huh. Um, so that might be one. And even that question's hard. But I will say, like, my favorite food was probably a hoopie. Uh, and and that was pretty solid. So they, and they just feed the hell out of you, and then you you walk out and you can't move. Looking at your list from twenty twenty two, what would you say is the best location for a buddy's trip? If I'm going to grab two guys, and I want to play with a member everywhere, and I've got say two or three days to do a trip, where would you go? My first thought is a place where I haven't even played them all yet, and that would be something like Monterey. Because you get such good weather, there's so many good courses there. Even if you take out the top couple, there's still a ton of courses. And of course, you can just go play Pebble if you want to spend the money. And I think LA is amazing. So California, to me, gets a huge bump just because you're like 90% chance of good weather. San Francisco, maybe 80% chance. So that's way better than most of the country. I think if you're being more reasonable in a place where you can actually get on, like a normal group of guys will have more luck getting on. I actually really love Ohio and Michigan. I think they're not, they're hit quite a bit, but you know, California has so many people and everyone travels there. The Northeast and New York is so dense that everyone travels there. So it can be hard to put these trips together. I found people in Michigan, Ohio to be super welcoming and much more welcoming than a lot of places. And I think it's just because they're not as bombarded um, with people trying to play their courses. So uh, I think in an area, you know, anything in Michigan, so Detroit, Traverse City, those areas, and then Ohio's got. 10 or eight top 100. So there's a ton in Ohio that you could do. And those are great trips, more affordable under the rate, a little more under the radar and less population density. So you can actually make more, more rounds happen. Tell us about the best shot you ever hit. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I love answering this question. And it changed this year, like five times. Cause I, I just, I, I didn't play that well, but I had some good highlights to start the year at a, I'm going to tell you two at Augusta national on the fourth hole. Uh, it was 180 yards. I hit this six iron. That was just a gorgeous high draw, which is exactly what the caddy asked me to hit. And it just would look like it was going in, like in the air. It's one of those ones where the people are saying, get in the hole. It lands. It rolls straight at the pin with perfect pace. And I still don't know what happened. It literally just went over the hole. And like, if you see a picture of how it landed, like it, it just went right through the pin. I still don't know what happened. It didn't go in, but I, uh, I was, a millimeter from a hole in one at Augusta, which obviously would have been unmatched. Um, but number one, because it was part of my career low was national golf links. Um, I had like 90 yards in on 18. I needed par to tie my career low. I hit my third shot on the par five. It was a wedge right at it, but you can't see where it lands. We walk up, it's 18 inches from the hole. And so I had a tap in birdie shot my career low 75. So I've got to give that one as my best shot ever, just because of the timing of it being at the end of the round on 18 at NGLA. Okay, I'm, I'm going to lie. I'm going to go back to the to the list for one more question. <laughs> what was your favorite hole that you played last year? I mean, there's a lot of them. And so I don't know if I have a good answer for that. But I'm going to tell you, and maybe it's because I didn't see it coming. Like Eastward Ho probably has four golf holes 
where I was just like blown away. And so 15 at, at Eastward Ho is this just gorgeous par three that rivals uh, Pebble Beach seven and holes like that. And I had never seen a picture of it. I didn't even know it existed. And I'm like, how can this hole not be a picture taking this hole all the time? And and when another hole on that course, and the problem is I don't remember the exact number. It's a par four, probably hole six, I believe. Um, and it's another one at Eastward Ho that just blew my mind where it had so much contour and the land was so different from everything else. And you have a view of the water. It it's a it's a course that I'm like, how is this thing not a top ten course? And that happened like six times in that round. So those are some of the ones that are under the radar. And if I said just my favorite hole, it might be the Alps hole at NGLA. Rick, if you were king of golf for a day, what aspect of golf would you change, if anything? Um, it's an easy one. It's probably a common answer, and that's pace of play. I'm a very fast player. I don't expect everyone to play super fast, but I think if you just build a culture where Morning tea times, you guys play in three and a half. The next wave plays in, you know, 345, four. And then if you play afternoon, you can play in 415, whatever. Let's double click on that a little bit. So I, I completely agree with you. How can we change the rules in your mind to affect that change? You know, casual is tough. I, I don't know of a rule change because I've thought of like a shot clock. But what's weird is 40 seconds, like is the tour clock, right? That's actually a long time. Like most of the time, you don't even need 40 seconds. Um, so I don't know the right answer because it's really usually simple. It's just be ready to hit and you'll probably finish in under four hours. So I don't know of a rule other than like on a club level basis, which you can see right now. There's a ton of clubs, private clubs that have pretty strict rules, like finish in under four hours. You're going to get a letter type thing. And that's all it takes. If you do that, people will fix it. Tell us about a time where you've had as much fun playing golf, golf as you ever have. And I'm going to caveat this with, you don't get to mention national. <laughs> um, I would say a time I can think of is, gosh, there's a lot. I've had so many great rounds of golf with so many good people, right? Where they're just, it's a blast. I'm going to go back to one of my early rounds that I got off a thousand greens on an offer. Um, and it was Rock Creek Cattle Company. And like I said, I wasn't, fern i wasn't sage so i couldn't request it it was an offer so just playing there was like blew my mind it was one of the first top 100s i played and i get paired with you know our host alex who was awesome i get paired randomly with john lutz he was awesome and that's where i met him his wife was there she was great my buddy zach was there and it's just it was everything clicked it was good weather amazing course great people and we all just had a blast and we all just became friends and, and we had never met each other before. So when that happens, and, and I can probably repeat that story like 15 other times too, but that was a very special one that like sticks out in my memory. For someone that travels and plays as much golf as you do, uh, I would love to hear a couple recommendations you have for golf books. So I love the Tom Doak books and they're controversial. Basically the, the confidential guide to golf courses is what they're called. There's four volumes, I believe. And he just writes him and his partners, three different guys. They write about golf courses and they're little blurbs, but it's a great way to find golf courses to learn about little things that they're going to write about that you might not have noticed. And they're honest. They're brutally honest. Um, they're biased because we all have biases, but it's a really great way to learn about different golf courses. And if you're going to an area, just look up that place and you'll find five courses you never heard of that you might want to play. Uh, and nowadays with the internet, books are amazing. You should read, you know, I love club books like the National Golf Links book, like their club book. Club books are the best. 
Um, but the problem is like the internet's so easy to get. It's free. And if you just read the fried egg top 100 golf courses in golf club Atlas, you'll get a insane wealth of knowledge that refreshes all the time. And you can go back in history and read everything. Um, I think those are great outlets for people to learn from. 2022 was obviously amazing for you. If you were going to pick four or five places to go in 2023 that you haven't been before, what's on your list? So the big ones, if, so I'm playing in the top 100. So I'm just going to kind of like all that's lumped together, any top 100 course. And, and I think for anyone who's listening to this, they all love those. Um, I am, am half Japanese and I've, I've been to Japan, but I've never golfed there. So my big thing I want to knock off this year is a Japan trip. And it's already in the works, um, in the works with a guy uh, I met off of Thousand Greens. So, you know, that's the kind of thing where you just meet people on Thousand Greens, doors open. And next thing you know, hopefully this year I'll be going to Japan to play some of the great courses there. So that would be maybe the most special trip of my life if, if we make that happen. Tell us how you heard about Thousand Greens and why you ended <laughs> up joining. I never joined a club my whole life until 2020. I started looking into playing private golf. I didn't have very much experience. I'd played like two private clubs my whole life. I fampened, I think I was just researching or I saw it on social media. I heard about Prairie Dunes in Kansas, top 25 course. I literally filled out a membership inquiry, drove up, filled out the paperwork and joined. And this is like right as COVID was starting. Back then you could just do that with some of the top 100 clubs, which is insane, right? And it was affordable. Like in Dallas, I was looking at Dallas clubs. They were all six figures and weightless. So I was like, well, I'll just join Prairie Dunes. And that's what kind of, I went there and played and I was like, wait a second, there's a different level of golf that I had no idea it existed. A different type of golf that I had no idea it existed. I really like this. <laughs> I'm going to explore this. And, uh, and that's kind of, I think I heard about Thousand Greens from another Prairie Dunes member, which they're very active on Thousand Greens. So why specifically did you become a Founder Club member? Um, well, for me, it was really easy. I had met so many friends from Thousand Greens over the first, I had used it about, I think, 18 months before, maybe not even that much before he announced the Founders program, that to me, I, I was already in debt to Thousand Greens. I mean, it's priceless. I mean, I have dozens of friends that I, I truly consider friends, not just you know golf buddies, like actual friends from meeting off of Thousand Greens. And that's priceless. So I told I I told Manish when he was like looking for ideas, I was like, whatever it is, I'm joining. And I wanted to be number one. I think I was number three. I was the third person to to send in my money. But I mean it's it's literally the the circle of friends I have now, it's it's been the greatest time of my life. And a and a good chunk of that I owe just to, to Thousand Greens. And what unique experiences has Thousand Greens enabled for you that you would not have had otherwise through just a membership at Prairie Dunes or just through your personal network? Um, well, most of my personal network, to be frank, has come from Thousand Greens. I've never been a network guy, um, blue collar background. So even though I was a business owner, I wasn't around guys with golf memberships. The, the guys in my peer group didn't have any. So my network came from Prairie Dunes and then this and that's it. So I would say... When you look at that list, probably half of it, if not more, is just Thousand Greens or people I met from Thousand Greens who became friends. And I'm really blessed that I've been able to click with so many people because that's not always a given. But yeah, so so most of those experiences on there came one way or another, um, at least half of them from Thousand Greens. You talk about having real meaningful friendships through Thousand Greens. Do you ever feel like the rounds that you're playing are pay-to-play rounds or quid pro quo rounds just because you're a member at Prairie Dunes? Or how do you feel like you're establishing real friendships this way? 
I, I certainly will say there are probably people on the platform that are like that, that literally everything is a, a trade to them. 95% of the people I meet are the opposite. Like they're just hosting or they're hosting like five times more than they're playing. So I would say it's actually truly a way to share great golf courses with other people who appreciate it. And if you have two people with that mindset that appreciate great golf, they're probably going to click and become friends. It's a natural like selection bias, right? The type of person who wants to share their course is probably going to be kind. It's probably going to be welcoming. It's probably going to be a good host. And it just naturally aligns. What would you say to someone that's on the fence about joining Thousand Greens? Uh, well, hopefully after listening to this, you're like, what am I doing? I need to join. I would say just join and try it. It's super affordable. It's way less expensive than like say golf societies and things like that. And I think, you know, if you're someone who's in a, in a, a moth or olive club and you're leery because you won't be able, that's okay. I'm telling you, if you just play a lot and with courses in your tier, watch offers, host people you'll find that you'll just make friends and all of a sudden you'll realize that, Hey, that was actually really awesome. And then you'll go on golf trips together and maybe you won't go to the number four course in the country or something, but there are 500 courses that are top 100 quality. And if you just make a bunch of friends, I promise you, you'll find golf trips to go. And Rick, you are at top 100 Rick on Twitter, Instagram. You have about 10,000 followers and post your thoughts there. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Tell, tell us a little bit about what that is that's meant to you and, and sort of the feedback that you've gotten there. I, it's, it's crazy, actually, because it, it's mainly actually started on Twitter. I was on Twitter and I just talk about golf and I share my golf experiences and I didn't really think of it as anything. And it just I started actually meeting people. So I actually play with people I've met off of Twitter and Instagram. Um, I've actually made some really good friends off of there. And you know, that's part of it, but it's just something fun to watch grow and share and hear other people's stories. And you post your experience at a golf course and someone else shares their experience. It's an awesome way to find like-minded people. Like I can't tell you how many in real life friends that I text every day that I met off of Twitter, which is kind of bizarre if you think about it, but it's true. Rick, thank you so much for your time. Sincerely appreciate your thoughts. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.